In just a few moments, I'm going to be reading from Daniel, the first chapter, and we launch a sermon series this morning uh, about being contagious, sharing Jesus and going viral, uh, the analogy of us being contagious about our faith. And if you have been around the last few weeks, uh, there's a logical sequence to these two fall sermon series. Uh, we just completed a series on celebrating our great confessions, what it means to confess Christ as Lord and Savior, what it means to God, to us, to others. And as we clarify what it is, what it takes to be in a relationship with God, so then we move to the next step of then how do we share Christ with other people. I wrote a series of uh, articles that appeared in Word and Way several months ago, uh, three consecutive months, and in the bulletin we've noted the uh, link so that you may uh, reference those and go online and uh, maybe read a little bit more than I'll have time to develop here about uh, the, the place of evangelism and faith sharing, whatever happened to evangelism. And uh, if you don't have access to computers, uh, the paper copies of Word and Way are available as well. But I hope you'll spend some time with that. And so in just a moment, I'll read from Daniel chapter 1. Before I do, would you pause and just pray with me, please? as we bow together in God's presence. Tender and loving Lord of our lives, already we have been so blessed and experienced your presence in powerful ways. We pray once again that you'll pour out your mercy upon us, pour out your mercy upon our wounded, hurting lives, some of us dealing with grief and illness, some of us dealing with very, very complicated family struggles, some of us dealing with sin and, and uh, the, uh, the prison of habits and lifestyles that are keeping us from uh, an abundant life. Pour out your mercy upon our nation and our world as well, not only for the spiritual and emotional healing uh, from the hatred and the vitriol, but we pray for those struggling to survive and recover from wildfires and from shootings and from hurricanes, for all of those who are experiencing difficulties. And Lord, as we come to this time of worship, as we think about what it means to share our faith, we acknowledge that something's missing in our discipleship and our walk with you. We long for our lifestyles to make a difference to those around us. We long for our words to make a difference. We long for those two to line up deeds and words. Help us, Lord, to be ambassadors of the good news in ways that will not only make a difference in others, but impact us as well. Guide us into your truth. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our collective hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, amen. And now Daniel 1, the very first 21 verses And I'll invite you to stand as God's word is read aloud. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. Those he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of of his gods. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal 
family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine, so he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who ate the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. At the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, let's be honest. Nobody here is totally comfortable. Well, most of us here this morning are not totally comfortable with phrases like faith sharing, personal evangelism, witnessing, proselytizing. In the first place, we never feel adequate to share faith because we think we need to know more Bible than we know. We're afraid somebody will ask us a tough question. But in the second place, we also don't want to be the person at work who's the buzzkill, the one who kills all conversation and people walk away because they, they don't like to be made uncomfortable. 
We also have seen very poor methods of evangelism and faith sharing among people, and we don't want to be that person. We don't want to be the one who bullies and badgers other people. We don't want to be the one who uses guilt and manipulates other people. It, we, just, we just have a lot of problems with personal faith sharing. Here's our picture of faith sharing that we have in our minds right there. I got you down. I'm twisting your arm. You say yes to Jesus or I won't let you go. I mean, isn't that the image that we have? And some of us were schooled in evangelism training years ago. This is what you do. You back them into a corner. You argue with them until they have no way out. And then they finally say, I accept Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It's not a wrestling match. And it shouldn't be painful. And so what happens is, because we don't feel adequate to share our faith, and we also don't want to be that buzzkill person who is the obnoxious one, what we do is we don't share our faith at all. And that's not the answer either. And so we remember that personal faith sharing is not a program. Personal faith sharing, telling others about Jesus, is not a sales campaign. It is a way of life. The New Testament says that we are to live so distinctly and then share so so appropriately verbally that those words and those actions line up and that, that the Christian life is actually attractive and that it becomes contagious. I mean, think of contagious in that way, going viral in a good way. Uh, we all know about viruses and germs spreading. Uh, not too long ago, we had the Ebola outbreak. And more recently, we've had the Zika virus. And we all know about the wintertime and the spreading of germs and, and how all those things can be spread among classrooms of little children and then your sweet little boys and girls bring it home to mom and dad. We all know about going viral. And you know, I, I googled this. I was fascinated at all the movies. Well, not all the movies. The bunch of movies over the years that have this theme of a of a, a virus outbreak that some sinister evil person uh, develops to infect the whole world and hold the world ransom or to destroy civilization as we know it. I mean, uh, Outbreak was a movie. Contagion was one of those movies. Twelve Monkeys was one of those movies. And even some of the Spider-Man movies and on and on. There's this obsession we have with Contagion. But why can't Contagion be a good thing? when we think about personal faith sharing as, be, as being a way for us to simply spread Jesus and let people catch Jesus because of our faithful witness. And, and we can do that. And Daniel and his three friends can help us. We just have to be paying attention because they do have some things to teach us. Background. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were Jewish people, strong, healthy, handsome young men living in Judah, the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was finally destroyed because of its sinfulness. Nebuchadnezzar, the nation Babylon, came and, and took away all of the healthy and bright people, led them into, into exile in Babylon, current-day Iraq so that they not only devastated the homeland of Judah, Israel, but they led away the best and the brightest. And so here Daniel and his friends were 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from home, every reason to complain and feel sorry for themselves, offered this rich food because the king had his eye on them to groom them for leadership. And Daniel says, I don't want this rich food. I don't want this wine. Now, it wasn't just a matter of healthy eating. In that culture and that time, in fact, it's that way to some extent in other parts of the world today, to sit at table and to eat what your host offers is to acknowledge that you are in league with your host, that you accept your host's values, that you share in in goals of that host. And so Daniel said, this isn't my world, this isn't my food. I don't want to give tacit approval to this pagan nation. But notice, Daniel asked politely. His witness was courteous. His witness was respectful respectful of the non-believers. He wasn't belligerent. He wasn't belligerent at all. He was very, very matter-of-fact and kind. He asked for a different diet. And, of course, they tried the different diet, and the, the four men were healthier. But here's the thing. It wasn't just a witness of lifestyle. Later on, Daniel had the opportunity to put verbal witness alongside his lifestyle witness. Because in chapter 2, when he finally has an audience with King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says, there is a God in heaven, and let me tell you about him. His lifestyle led to verbal witness. And then in chapter 3, when the three friends were about to be thrown into the furnace of fire, uh, into, that, into that fiery ordeal, they said, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, God, our God might deliver us from the fire, or he might not, but either way, he's God. We are loyal to him. That was their verbal witness. And the scripture says that King Nebuchadnezzar actually, in chapter 3, verse 28, acknowledged the one God as sovereign God above all. So their witness worked. Their witness was effective because it was lined up behavior and words. And the king noticed. I want to suggest something this morning for this three-part sermon series. Without even realizing it, we have all been carried into exile. Without changing our zip codes, without moving... We are in a foreign land. The world has changed, people. Right under our feet. Right under our noses. While we've stayed in this building and done church, the world out there has changed and there is a paganism out there. And we have to understand that there is that exile mentality that is very appropriate to our age. Let me give you an example. Jason Biasi uh, is a professor of a, at a seminary in Vancouver, Canada. Jason shares that there in Vancouver he was getting his hair cut and the hairstylist was striking up conversation and said, what do you do for a living? And Jason said, uh, well, I'm a seminary professor. I teach theology. And the stylist said, wow, you believe in God? And then Jason said, yes, I do. And here's the part that will blow your mind. I believe that God has made himself known in the, by coming in the flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And I promise you, the hairstylist said, Jesus of Nazareth, who's he? 
Who's that? No concept. Now, I know what you're going to say. Well, that's Canada. Or you're going to say, you know, that's the Northwest. They're all pagans up there. We're the Midwest. We're the Bible Belt. Well, you know what? Just sit and drink coffee and listen. Just watch the world. Listen, listen to what's on TV and radio. We're in a new paganism. But in the midst of that, hairstylists and people who don't know about Jesus of Nazareth are hungry to learn. They don't even know what they're hungry for. They don't even know what they need. But their hearts are aching for something. And they're watching us. They think we're peculiar. Well, some of us are. They think we're strange. They don't understand our words. But they're curious. I hope you've been enjoying uh, the daily devotionals dropped in your inbox uh, as a part of setting sail, uh, the private worship the personal worship experience, uh, the spiritual uh, life-changing faith. Uh, there have been some wonderful devotionals shared. And, and just a, a few weeks ago, Darlene Clark shared a wonderful devotional, and she shared some of her artwork and then some comments about her artwork. And I loved what she said. She said, The figures in my drawing are poised, facing forward, and they are open. Now think about what we've been talking about this morning. She says, they are asking, yearning, and eager to learn. And here are their questions. What and whom do you believe and believe in? They are dying to know. They have stopped their play. They are ready. Shall we tell them? They are eager, they are open, they are ready, they are listening. Shall we tell them? See, that's our world. Crazy, mixed up, pagan, but they're so hungry. And so Daniel and his three friends, they don't get all self-pitying about their circumstances. Far away from home, in this pagan land. They don't wait for perfect circumstances to share their faith. They don't wait for everything to get just right. They just share about the real God despite the circumstances. And what do we do? We say, you know, I'm going to start sharing my faith. I'm going to start living the gospel when I just get through this really crazy time in my life. You know, I'm going to start sharing with some friends I'm concerned about, but I just got, you know, my life's a mess. I just got to wait for things to settle down. I'm so obsessed with my own problems, I can't share Christ with anybody else. That's what we say. And we also say, get this, we also whine about our loss of privilege in this country. We complain about the loss of entitlements as Christians that we used to have. But instead of spending all that time wanting to get all of our privileges restored, why don't we spend that energy just living Christ and sharing Christ instead of waiting for the world to get right? 
There's a beautiful verse of scripture that I know I don't quote and claim often enough. It's actually in the New Testament. Paul wrote it probably while he was in prison. Hundreds and hundreds of years after Daniel lived. It was true in Daniel's time. It's true in Paul's time. It's true in our time. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Isn't that a beautiful description of what God calls us to be and do as witnesses? Just carry the message. Carry the light into this darkness that is all around us. You know, one of the things that I admire so much about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is their courage and strength. In a very hostile environment, their courage and strength. I have to confess, I'm not sure I would be that person. I'd probably be in the whining camp instead of the courage camp. I admire Daniel's courage and, and I had this thought. We all know and believe being strong helps you witness. Being strong in Christ helps you share your faith. But what about the converse of that? Flip that around. Isn't it true also? Not only being strong helps you witness, but witnessing helps make you strong. You ever think about that? Sharing your faith actually strengthens you. It puts muscle in your spiritual life. I don't know about you, but I've discovered the more I share Christ with others, the more spiritual energy I feel released within me. Energy that had been lying dormant in this selfish, tired soul of mine that gets obsessed with its own stuff. There's something there's something about sharing Christ that actually makes us stronger. So it's both and. Being strong helps you share Christ. Sharing Christ helps you be strong. One of my all-time favorite books is The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. The story about how she and her father and sister ran the, the clock shop in, in that city in Holland as Hitler was spreading his poison of hate and rounding up Jews. And the ten booms who were Gentiles hid Jews fleeing from Hitler, hid them in their home. And then eventually they were found out and the ten booms were hauled off to concentration camps. Her father and her sister Betsy died. Corey lived to tell the story. There's one place in the wonderful uh, accounting of her life and witness. She talked about spending countless, countless days in solitary confinement. And she remembers the day when she was allowed her first shower after being in solitary confinement for so long. She said, that warm, soapy water running over my matted hair 
and that warm, soapy water running over my crusted, infected skin. She said it felt like heaven. But then listen what she says. I thought to myself, since this was the first time I'd had contact with other prisoners, I thought to myself, the next time I get a shower, I'll bring three copies of the Gospels with me to share with somebody else. And then she said, I discovered that solitary confinement is a place where you can be rich. And what about us? Are we sharing Christ in our imperfect circumstances? Or can we be like Corey? Can we be like Daniel? Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We can do that. If we get a mindset that reminds us that God has called us to be contagious. Be contagious and share the faith. Would you bow with me for prayer? As we bow for just a moment... I want to acknowledge that maybe not everybody here is a believer, a follower of Christ. You might bear witness this morning to that heart hunger that is sort of undefined and vague but very real. I wonder this morning if you could come to the place in your life where you acknowledge your need and acknowledge your desire and you're ready to tell God you want to follow Christ. That you want to come clean, be whole. You're ready to commit your life to Christ. If that's your desire, I hope you'll breathe a prayer. Say, God, I I know you love me. I ask you to forgive my sin. I want to turn from that. I want to take Jesus into my life. And I want to follow him. There are Christians who are here this morning, followers of Christ, who perhaps hear the call of Jesus to walk more closely, to be more intentional. Maybe others who are hearing a call to a church membership decision or to come to the altar to pray about something. We just want every person here to be obedient to the prompting of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, have your way in each of our hearts. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.